Today we are privileged to witness the baptism of Sophia Allison Wilson. And more than a witness, today we are partaking in a promise. It is not Sophia's promise. Baptism is a divine promise. The proof of which is Genesis 17. Here in this text, this chapter, God confirms his promise to Abraham that he will be the father of nations. Let us just pull back from the text for a moment. Before we dig in to the specifics. And you will just notice as you hover over the text. You will see the emphasis on nations. Verse 4. I will make you a multitude. A father of nations. Verse 5. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Verse 6. I will make you into nations and kings will come from you. You see here in this repetition... Repetition in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, Hebrews love repetition. They love to make a point, emphasis with repetition. The repetition here, nations. Nations are critical to Genesis 17. You might say it is the subject matter of Genesis 17. Nations. God promises here to make Abraham the father of nations. Whose children God will bless forever. In Genesis 17, God proves that he will have an everlasting people from the nations of the world. And we also see as we're looking at the text, hovering over the text, if you will, that God is prominent in the text. The focus is God. You will notice it with all of these first-person plurals. I have made. I will make kings. I will make you fruitful. I will be your God. I will give to you and your offspring. I, I, I. I am the Lord God. That's how it ends. I will be their God. It's all about God. So verse 1 begins when Abram was 99. Old man. Old man Abram, we used to call him. <laughs> Lived over by the creek. No. Old man Abram, 99 years old, the Lord. That's the Hebrew, Yahweh. And Yahweh, God's covenantal name. Covenantal name. That's a name that possesses people. Yahweh, the possessor of people, appeared to Abram. Interesting. Will he possess Abram? <laughs> Yahweh appears to Abram. And Yahweh speaks. I am God Almighty, El Shaddai, God's regal name, name of power. This is the name that creates ex nihilo, out of nothing. This is the name that moves heaven and earth. And the name that moves heaven and earth is Yahweh, who moves heaven and earth for his people. Protection, care, love, provision. So while we are witnessing, and we hear her now proclaiming <laughs> her baptism, so while we are witnessing Sophia's baptism, she is not the focus today. I know that's hard to understand because she's so precious to us. How can she not? How can this little one not be the focus? 
Because we learn this truth in Genesis 17. While we think Sophia is very precious, Genesis 17 reminds us that she is more precious to the Lord. She is more precious to God. So in baptism, God is acting. God is acting here. Sophia is not acting. And if she was being baptized at 99, she would not be acting. God is acting here. We're just servants, people. That's what we learn here. Abram is only a servant. Verse 1, when Abram was 99, old man Abram, he appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, and the Lord commands him, walk before me and be blameless. How is he to be blameless? We're going to see that he is to be blameless by obeying the Lord, by obeying verse 9. By circumcising all adults and every child who is eight days old within the covenant community. Every male in Abraham's household was to be circumcised. The entire household of faith received the sign of covenant. A sign of inclusion. Verse 11, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generation, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner, any offspring. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, a pretty long covenant, an everlasting covenant. Everlasting is a long time, especially when you're an everlasting God. The entire household of Abraham whether they knew it or not, whether they could understand what was going on or not, was brought into the family of God. God wanted believers. God wanted their children. That's an Old Testament truth. He wanted Abraham's offspring. Old Testament truth. Now, I wonder, I actually think it would be great if this promise to love and care for children, I would love for that promise to belong to my children. How would you love to have a sign that God will protect your children, that God will provide for your children, that your children don't belong to this world, they belong to something greater, they belong to God? Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful, the nations here, these nations, wouldn't it be wonderful if we belong, if those nations had something to do with us? I just wonder if those nations have anything to do with this church. And I think it would be really good if the New Testament was clear. Perhaps if the great exegete of the Old Testament, Paul, wrote several chapters on this truth. Maybe perhaps Romans 4. Maybe he could take the entire chapter of Romans 4. Maybe the entire chapters of Galatians 3 and 4. It would be nice if a whole book was dedicated to it. Maybe like a book like Hebrews. That would be wonderful. And wouldn't it be wonderful... If the Bible connected us to Abraham, and if the book of Acts included the principle of household inclusion, in continuation of Genesis 17, then surely we would have the best evidence that Abraham still applies today. I guess the question I'm really asking is this. Is God still preeminent? Is he still prominent in the church? Is he still sovereign? Does he still promise to deliver believers and their household protection of young and old alike? I guess what I'm really asking is this. Is God 
still sovereign. And that's an issue, God's sovereignty. Because I don't know you, but I, like Abraham, am not. We see in verse 17 of Genesis 17. Verse 17, look at verse 17. Then Abram fell on his face. He laughed. He laughed at God and said to himself, said to himself Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, this 99-year-old Sarah, bear a child? God says, yes, and Abram laughs at God. And as bad as we think that is, laughing at God, that's pretty bad, right? He then instructs God. Hell, how about you take Ishmael? Whom you remember, you know, several chapters ago, a couple chapters ago, he and Sarah played God. Tried to help God out. You should really see here, you see a husband and a wife. You see a male and a female. What you should see with Ishmael is two people believing the lie of the serpent in the garden. You can be like God. Take Hagar. And then go instruct God what to do. Abram's a sinner. He may be the father of the faith, but he's a sinner. And sinners need a sovereign. Sinners need help. Sinners need grace. That's El Shaddai. Yahweh. El Shaddai. He makes barren land fertile. A 90-year-old woman is nothing, no problem here. No problem for God. El Shaddai will make Sarah exceedingly fruitful. And if he can make Sarah exceedingly fruitful at 99, he can care for your family. It's no problem for God. And so you can, trust his pro- you can trust his promise to Sophia this day, parents. God declares covenant. It's a work of God. Verse 4. God declares covenant. Verse 4. Behold, this is my covenant. It's not yours. God's. My covenant that I now make with you. God is almighty over all mighties. He's the almighty. There's no other mighties. And that's a truth you Americans, and I include myself, really have to understand. He's almighty over all mighties. You don't make Christ Lord of your life. I hear that expression. Got to make Jesus Lord of your life. You don't make squat. He is Lord. Whether you like it or not. He is the sovereign. He is the almighty. So stop saying that. That's my mission. Get our country to stop saying that. You don't make him Lord. Language matters. You don't make him Lord of life. He is Lord. You bow. You submit. You serve. You're servants. We're servants. We're humble. Servants. God is almighty. Almighty over creation. I will multiply, he says. And that is important. I will multiply your family. That's really important biblically. Because so far when God's interacted with people, when he's interacted with families, you know what he has said to these families? Go and be fruitful. Go and multiply. He commands them. Adam, go. Be fruitful. Noah, be fruitful. But now it's not a command. I 
will make you fruitful. This is not a covenant of works. These are not demands. These are promises. The Abrahamic covenant is a covenant of promise. I will make, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will be your God. And you will be my people. Don't lose this. Never lose this. Abraham's offspring are child, children of the promise. You might even underline that. I will make you fruitful. I will multiply you. We call it a covenant of grace because this covenant is based on God's promise and power alone. It is salvation by grace and not by works of the law. And as God multiplies, and that's what we see here in the text, God multiplies, and as he multiplies, he wants the harvest. He says, walk before me. In verse 1, that's a technical expression that you can read in ancient Near Eastern texts. And it speaks of absolute loyalty. Servants are to be absolutely loyal to their king. This loyalty in ancient times was a tithe. You had to tithe the king. God exacts loyalty. El Shaddai, king of kings, was going to bless Abraham with offspring, and he wanted loyalty. He wanted a tithe. And the blamelessness here in verse 1 is not sinlessness. He's not calling Abram to be sinless, impossible. The blamelessness here speaks of wholeness. God was going to give him a kingdom, and God wanted the whole kingdom. God was going to bless his household, and God wanted that household. God wanted those children, and so circumcision, to be God to you and to your offspring after you, verse 7. And that, my friends, is a very important biblical clause. If you, again, love to highlight your Bible, highlight to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Memorize it. That is an important biblical clause, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. It means this, your children, Sophia, Luke, is not your own. I'm calling you out because I think your wife's in the cry room. But she can hear me. Sophia is not your own. Your children belong to God. Sophia, Luke, Megan, Sophia belongs to the Lord and raise her in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So God changes Abram's name to Abraham. Verse 2, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Abram fell on his face. That's where you fall. You don't say, I'm going to make you Lord. No, you fall on your face. And God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. You see, throughout the ancient Near East, the inauguration of a new era or a new state policy was marked by the change of the king's name. And we see that today. I know Prince Charles, poor Prince Charles, his mother has the gift of longevity. <laughs> but maybe, perhaps, one day, she will move on 
perhaps hopefully go to be with the Lord. And Prince Charles will become king. And when he becomes king, he will be given a new name. And by changing Abraham's name here, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. God is marking a policy change, a new covenant for the nations. You see, Abram belonged to that old covenant. It's very old. It goes back to Adam. And we actually see Abram acting in ways that we expect those in that old covenant to act. Listening to the lies of the serpent. Abram, trying to be like God, trying to create like God and so forth. But God says to this sinner, no, new name, new covenant. Abraham belongs to the covenant of grace. So his name means father of a multitude of nations. And here in this text, everything we see is new, people. A new name because of a new work of God. God is working something new. He's creating a new humanity. A new humanity will come from the nations. It is a new covenant, all about new life. It is foretold in a name, a new name. A new name, a new work that he would accomplish, that God would accomplish through Abraham. A great nation, a new nation, a new people. God will redeem the nations. He will be their God. And they will be his people. And with this new name comes a new heart. Not only circumcised outwardly, but Israelites were called to circumcise their heart, have a new heart. That's the, that's the call of the prophets in the Old Testament. Circumcise your heart. That's the call of ministers today. New life, believe. And the God who works among you, God who works in you. And all the blessings of the new covenant are found here in this Abrahamic covenant. Now, I wonder if this means anything for us. I know it means one thing. It means Galatians. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians. And as you turn there, we've kind of pulled out and looked at the Bible. Now we're doing what the Bible demands that we do. The Bible thinks highly of itself. When the Bible's read, it wants the Bible to read itself. The Bible doesn't really like your interpretation. Bible's, the Bible doesn't care much for us. <laughs> it wants to be read by itself. We're going to do that. Galatians 3, 7, because Paul is a great exegete of Scripture. A great student of the Old Testament who wrote a lot of the New Testament, if you're familiar with the Bible. Galatians 3, 7. Paul writes here, Know then, and that's a command actually, that's an imperative. This is something you need to know. He's basically saying, hey, church, better know this or you're going to get confused. Know then that it is those of faith. Those of faith are the children of Abraham. Mark that verse. Know that verse. Own that verse. Those who simply believe, who trust in God, in his power and provision, are blessed with the same promises of Abraham. Look at verse 9. So then... Those who are of faith, mark, memorize. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Here's Genesis 17 being interpreted for you. We are the nation's people. 
We are the nations blessed along with Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. This means God still protects. God still provides. God still loves our little ones. Now turn with me to Acts. Keep your finger in Galatians. We'll be back here. But go to Acts 2. You should know where that is because that's where we're finding ourselves studying throughout this new year. We're studying Acts. We take a break this week for baptism. But we are in Acts. In Acts 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, he's talking to the Jews at Pentecost. And Peter said to the Jews at Pentecost, the Diaspora Jews, Jews from all across the nations, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children. And then he adds, for all who far off. For everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Look at the text and memorize verse 39. Focus on verse 39. Peter does not say that God extends his promise to children who put their trust in Jesus Christ. He says, the children of those who repent and baptize, and these children specifically are in view. This, my friends, is Genesis 17 in the New Testament. You might even write that in your Bibles. Genesis 17, Abraham believed God. Romans 4 was justified. Then God said, include your family. Circumcise your children and yours specifically. It's the same here, only baptism is the sign and seal. And in the new covenant, children of believers belong to God. It's the Abrahamic promise. That's why Paul calls children in the Bible holy, or children of believers. He says if, even if they just got one believing parent, they're holy. Now, to those who are far off, that's just the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. That he'd be a father of a multitude of nations. The faith of Abraham, the faith of Abraham is a faith that extends out to the ends of the world. And as that faith of Abraham goes out to the ends of the world, God conquers nations. And he takes their homes with them. He goes out to the ends of the earth and he calls his people a chosen, a, you know, a, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. From the nations, a nation of God. He doesn't leave your home to the nations of this world. Baptism is a sign of covenantal inclusion in order to set our children apart from this world. Now, the change of sign confuses many today. So many take the, 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 uh, the change of a sign to a policy change. And the policy change is this. God doesn't want the children anymore. Baptism, though, instead of circumcision. Why baptism instead of circumcision? Why baptism instead of circumcision? Why? Jesus Christ and him crucified. In Colossians 2, the cross of Christ fulfills circumcision, replaces it with baptism, because circumcision, friends, was gospel. Circumcision was gospel. That cutting of the knife is gospel. 
And we see that fulfillment in Genesis 22. Right after God calls Abram to sacrifice his only begotten son, he says, take him up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice. Take that knife and circumcise him completely. Take him out of the land of the living. And there we know God stayed his hand, right? And God promised to provide, in the Hebrew it says, himself a sacrifice. God did not withhold the knife of his only begotten son. And the cross of Christ became the circumcision of Christ. The cutting is a picture of blood and death. So back again at Galatians 3, if you've kept your finger there, Galatians 3 verse 16, Paul writes, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. But Paul, the great exegete of Scripture, says, But it does not say, and he says, Look, friends, look at the Old Testament. He says, Genesis 17 does not say in two offsprings. The promise was never made to a plural people, never to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean, he says. The law which came 430 years afterwards, that's Moses. Moses has nothing to do with Abraham. That's what he's saying here does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. The Mosaic covenant has nothing to do, people, with the Abrahamic covenant. It does not make the promise void, he says. He says, because if inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. Moses was law. Abraham is gospel. That's what he's saying. But God gave it to Abraham as a promise. And the promise is made in offspring. The promise is made with Jesus Christ. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, and if you belong to him and him alone, you are redeemed. Paul writes verse, Galatians 3 verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is as it is written, cursed is everyone hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, the nations, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus Christ is the El Shaddai of Genesis 17. Jesus Christ is El Shaddai. On the cross... He destroyed that which keeps us back from the longevity we all desire. On the cross, he crushed sin and death. And he has destroyed. And if you belong to Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, you are more than conquerors. Belong. Belong. Galatians 3.27 it's a belonging verse. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Belonging. You see, friends, in baptism we belong to Jesus Christ, one with the offspring of promise. This is our salvation, for there is power in the blood. We are blessed by God because of our union with Jesus Christ. He is the El Shaddai of salvation. He says in John 10, 28, I give eternal life. 
I give eternal life and they will never perish. If Christ has given you eternal life, you will never perish. We need to make baptism gospel again. Why infant baptism? Because God loves our children so much. He loves your children so much that he wants them clothed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants your little ones wrapped in the arms of Christ, nailed, scarred hands, for such belongs the kingdom of God. You see, Luke, Megan, baptism is a sign that you can't save yourself. And you cannot save Sophia. But where you are weak, he is strong. And that is his promise to you. His promise is there's power in the blood. So Luke and Megan, you are walking before the Lord this day to be blameless. That is to give your whole family to the Lord. And we don't hope that little Sophia believes one day. We don't. We expect it. Because our God is sovereign. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.